Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning, folks. This is Annie here. And morning, Annie. This is Marcus. And morning to all the listeners out there. Yeah, well, we've had quite a uh, a few things going on here in Melbourne over the last week. You uh, were saying that, um, Mar- Marcus, that uh, you've got a little bit more in- information about toxic fires out in the West. Yeah, the West Footscray warehouse, which went up in flames last year, and just two weeks ago they found oh, thousands of litres of chemicals in, in that uh, burnout um, shed and... Yeah, through the week, uh, WorkSafers now stepped in to take control of that site. Following on for the announcement, uh, the EPA the week before took control of the uh, uh, GRS site out in Coolaroo. Yeah, well, there was a huge uh, article in one of the um, the local papers here, uh, um, instigated by uh, the United Firefighters Union, uh, UFU, uh, around exactly this issue and how many members were uh, now being affected negatively because of the dangerous chemicals that have been undocumented. Uh, like they go to these fires and they don't know what's what they're dealing with and it has these outrageous effects on their health. And, of course, uh, that means that... Uh, uh, the illegality of these people uh, is really uh, causing huge danger. That, I mean, this is the canary in the mine, really, isn't it? Uh, well, that's the problem. It needs to be fixed. Uh, there needs to be tracking of the chemicals from the from the source to these warehouses where they're storing them. I mean, that's the whole issue where it comes down to it. They, they don't know what's in the drums because they don't know where these chemicals have come from in the first place. I mean, that's the the challenge yeah. the the regulators have to... But we'll see. Mm. Now they're going to learn. Are they going to earn their stripes? Work safe. EPA. Well, they've stepped in to take control of these two (laughs) sites, but it's a little, a little bit, little too late. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. (laughs) Uh, The other thing is that you went off to uh, what was this event that was going on at uh, Trades Hall. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Yesterday, the National Conference for Labor Hire Reform and. The week before, the uh, labour hire licensing uh, laws and the Victorian Labour Hire Licensing uh, Commission came into force in Victoria, and yesterday was a meeting at Trades Hall um, to discuss the way forward to get a national regulatory scheme for the uh, protection of labour hire workers and uh, national licensing laws to regulate the labour hire uh, industry. I mean, as we know, 50% of Australian workers are now employed in insecure 
precarious employment through these labour hire companies. I mean, the positive thing to come out of it was that uh, since the registration has commenced in Victoria, uh, thousands of companies have applied for their licence and uh, been quite a few companies that when the licensing authority has approached them to ask them to show their uh, documents, BAS statements, uh, wage records and how they pay their workers. All those pesky things. Yeah, a lot of the companies uh, packed up overnight and uh, disappeared. disappeared. So, yeah, yeah. Mm, makes you wonder. Yeah. You also noticed that there was uh, sort of some discrepancy between different states because they had other people from, like there was a guy from Queensland who was representing government. Yeah, a bloke from the yeah Industrial Relations Office in Queensland, he did note that there was a company denied their licence in Victoria uh, and they applied for a licence in Queensland and despite the opposition of the NUW Queensland licence, this company anyhow. So for any uniform uh, national law, the states have to start working together. That's a vexed issue, isn't it? <laughs> um, how many people were at this place, uh, at this event? Oh, I think there was about 80. There was about 80 people there, um... So I think this is just the start of another campaign because, yeah, the to get the Victorian uh, legislation took about eight years from the concept to the legislation through the various, you know, the NUW led the way in the campaign through the fluoro fight back through meeting with various members of the ALP opposition back in 2012, 2013. I think, yeah, it was a fitting event yesterday given it was the last day of the NUW before Monday it amalgamates with United Voice to become the United Workers' Union. Yeah. So... That's amazing. Uh, in fact, um, later in the program, we're going to be talking to Don Sutherland about the ensuring integrity law and uh, that's being mooted for the Senate. It's going, uh, uh, this is its third attempt from the uh, right-wing government to ensure that anti-union legislation is a mark of their, um, what do you, their, what is it? Ruling elite, I guess. Oh, they're, yeah, they're anti-worker, anti-union agenda of this Liberal National Government. Yeah. But anyway, um, one of their elements, one of the elements in that particular leg- legislation is, uh, because there's an awful lot, but one of the tidbits is to uh, be able to pry into uh, if amalgamations of unions can actually happen, which is an interesting uh issue in itself that uh, they discovered that when the MUA and the CFMEU were choosing to uh, amalgamate that uh, um, they got their knickers in the knot and wanted to be able to stop them from doing that and then they discovered that uh, their legislative power didn't go that far which is you know so uh, as we've been discovering with the right-wing government uh, every time they feel that uh, they and their supporters don't get what they want. Uh, like a bad-tempered ch- uh, child, they change the uh, arrangements in the room. <laughs> well, yeah, unions have been successful. So the government, yeah, the Liberal government, their only way is to change the rules to stop unions from organising on exactly. top of the insurance integrity. What would the Liberal Party know about integrity? Oh, well, as uh, <laughs> that's right. And, you can tell that they come from a publicity background because they've even labelled the uh, legislation in a uh, outrageous way. So, ensuring integrity—it's—it's it's just like that joke. When do you, when did you last stop beating your wife? You know. 
and they want to have the right to pick and choose who leads our unions. I, I mean, yeah, exactly. Union members, it's our right to to elect our union leaders. Obviously, the Liberal Party doesn't understand how democracy works. Maybe all the workers can decide who runs the company and who's on the boards. Oh, that's right. I mean, are they are they jealous that the union we've been successful that we can elect our leaders when? Yeah. These company company leaders are all yeah, appointed, not exactly. elected. And and according to someone uh, from the Council of Small Business Organisations Australia, who are highly affected by the construction industry in the CFMEU, which is what it, this law is targeted at, he's only people against regulations are the dodgy ones. You know, that's as I was saying to you, uh, Marcus. That's like. Uh, uh, them saying, um, oh, if uh, you haven't done anything wrong, you don't need a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's another, yeah, another union uh, busting piece of legislation they're trying to get through, and I think very shortly people are going to have to get out in the street again and. Uh, oh, well, and, it's going uh, to end in tears. Force, yeah. No, no, it's going to end in tears. Um, anyway, uh, moving right along, uh, we'll be talking to Don later in the show about this because they think that it's going to be sneaked through uh, during next week, which is incidentally Remembrance Day. November the 11th is Monday, the Remembrance Day. You might have noticed the characters uh, trying to sell poppies and stuff. We all remember that uh, Remembrance Day was supposed to be a very important day for working class people because it was the day that was supposed to tell people that war was for, for naught and uh, the only blood that uh, is really shed are the, work, the blood of working class people and that working class people internationally have more in common uh, with each other than uh, they do with the boss. But of course, in our present day uh, climate, uh, with huge amounts of money being put behind uh, uh, ANZAC, a day, which was uh, a day that represents uh, Australia as part of a um, a force that was attacking someone else within their own country, which is you know a very high that's a high light in anybody's his, history. And yeah. a catastrophic defeat for the Australian <laughs> soldiers. <laughs> exactly right, but you know uh, it's put uh, uh, Remembrance Day a little bit in the shadow. But it's interesting to me. The reason why I bring it up is uh, that uh, they've decided to try and destroy working class people in the Senate with the introduction of, again of the uh, Ensuring Integrity Bill on. The in the week, the first day of the week is Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day. Oh, yeah. It's time to fight another war, the, yeah. the class war. The class war. But uh, before we finish our little rave, uh, just to remind you that today is, at 2pm to 4pm is a rally to save Medivac, save refugee lives. It's at the steps of... Um, uh, the library, the state library, and there's going to be speakers. Adam Bant from the uh, uh, Greens, uh, Deputy Leader. Josh Burns, Federal ALP member of McNamara. Uh, Betalem Tibebu Zeleki, Nauru detention survivor and activist. B- uh, Baruz B- Buzkani, who's going to come uh, be live. Kur- Kurdish Iranian refugee live from PNG. Christine Cummings, mental health nurse, ex-torture and trauma counsellor on Christmas Island, uh, author, If Dignity 
of dignity in a teacup. Now they're they're talking about the uh, Peter Dutton's uh, push to repeal the Medivac bill. You remember that that this is really just about bringing uh, Ill, sick people. Uh, from these uh, detention centres to Australia for medical help. Um, And we already know that uh, refugees have died, uh, you know, ridiculously, you know, from septicemia because of cuts in their feet, things of that nature. Now, what the uh, government wants to be able to continue to do is to uh, uh, flout the professional skills of doctors and psychologists and all the others um, basically take away all human rights from the refugees in these uh, concentration camps. And uh, this is going into the Senate this week too. So there you go. Lots of fun at the Senate next week. But they would like you to come out in force two to four at the State Library steps to hear speakers, but also show your displeasure at the lack of humanity that we're in the midst of at the moment. Uh, Anyway, enough of us. Let's have a song. From every corner of the world, they came from all around. When in 1851 they struck gold upon the ground Every voyage was a long one Months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune Others escaping slavery What they found on the gold fields Was ruled by brutish thugs Discrimination and taxation Mixed with swinging billy clubs The gold was getting scarcer And cops were getting worse The diggers burned their licenses and vowed to end this curse. They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross. They'd stand together and break the license laws. From 20 different nations they gathered here as one in Ballarat beneath the Southern Sun. The crown tried to divide them Giving preference to some The diggers wouldn't have it They said it's all of us or none They built the stockade While the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting We're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers who'd risen to the call They swore an oath beneath the Southern Cross They'd stand together and break the license laws From 20 to- I can't help thinking that that was such a perfect song to play after our little rave, Marcus <laughs> Yeah, and coming up later on we'll be talking about uh, the Eureka Rebellion and the event in Melbourne yeah. to uh, celebrate Eureka Yeah, 165th 165th year since uh, the workers rose up against the corrupt government. Mm. And uh, yeah, the Maybe struggle goes on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on the line, we've got uh, Michelle Myers. She's the uh, campaign director and national women's liaison officer for the MUA. G'day, Michelle. How are you? Hey, guys. How are you going? Good. Good. Michelle. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, we've got you here because there's, uh, and I'm going to say it, Women in Male Dominated <laughs> Occupations and Industries National Conference coming up down in Tasmania on the 12th to the 14th of November. This is a big deal, isn't it? It is a big deal, and we're very, very excited. So we've got a, a 160 women going to Devonport on Monday and Tuesday um, for a three-day conference, and they're all from uh, Male Dominated Occupations and Industries, so... Um, it's going to be pretty, um, pretty special. Now you've uh, you yourself, uh, bus driver Stevador, now leading light in the MUA. Uh, you you're a good bit of a groundbreaker when it comes to this sort of thing. So your experience over time, this is quite a few people uh, that are meeting and uh, a lot of unions. So this there is movement going on here, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I mean, uh, it is growing and we're certainly, um, you know, there's um, less places where there's no women working now. So, I mean, it's, we've seen change since I started in the wharves in 1999. I was one of the first women there. So, um, I, yeah, do have experience in that. But, um, yeah, some of the women that are coming to the conference are still the only person on a, on a site or a, in a workplace. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's a special place for these people to realise that there's, they're not alone. And, and what yeah. were the conditions like when you started on the wharfs, uh, Michelle, in 89? Um, no, good. Uh, it was 99, sorry. Oh, 99, sorry. Yeah. Um, obviously, people were still suspicious of anyone that came on after the on, after the Patrick's dispute, so that didn't help, and being the first woman didn't help either. But um, no, most of the, the Wolfies down there were absolutely incredible and very welcoming, um, and it was interesting because, you know, I'd never done physical labour, so I started in November, it was hot, and I was lashing, and it was very hard work, um, and there was a few days there that I was just like, what am I doing? But... Um, so glad I did it. It was my favourite job that I've ever had, um, and I'd go back and do it in a second. It's a great job. Yeah, um, tell it. Yeah, I mean, so you said it was the first uh, physical labour job that you'd done. I mean, actually, you were you you eventually were doing cranes, weren't you, or the loading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so I did everything on the wharves. I was a, a straddle driver and a crane operator by the end. Um, I was a very gentle and slow crane driver, according to my team leader, and I didn't go fast enough, but, you know, doesn't matter. <laughs> That's not the point. Um, but, um, yeah, so um, I did all of the jobs on the waterfront. But when you start, you start lashing, and that starts having, um, carrying metal bars to attach the containers to the ships. So it's, it's quite hard labour. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, it gives a different perspective, uh, the work that you do. I, I was talking, I went to a thing earlier in the year, and it was with electricians, uh, and it was a launch of a book uh, about some electrician, female electricians in Seattle. It was a big a battle that they had to be allowed yep. to work. And in the room were a whole lot of female electricians who are working here. And some of the discussions were really interesting to me because uh, a woman who had been working for a fair while in this area was talking about how weird it was to begin with when you're the only person who's female in a group and now that's not the case, but also now she just wants to be seen for her skills. And having a national conference like this actually is very important, isn't it? Because it can be really daunting to be the only, the odd one out. Yeah, it can be very daunting to be the odd one out. Um, and I think this is, that's what Windjoy is all about. I mean, it started 25 years ago um, because most of the women's conferences for union women were, you know, like people in white-collar jobs and they didn't get what we were going through. And, you know, we have, in my industry, we have, you know, women on ships. They could be the only woman on a ship that's away at sea for months at a time, you know. Um, so I guess 
there was a space, there was a gap, and that's what um, Windsor filled. Um, and it's a very important conference because of that. You know, there's, you know, we've got miners, plumbers, prison officers. We've got all sorts of women um, coming next week. It's great. What can you before we let you go because you're a busy woman? Can you give us an idea of the kind of sessions that they're going to be having? Yeah, so there's um there's a there's a couple of guest speakers. Um, we've got um, uh, Sally McManus will be coming down. We have uh, Julie Collins, the Shadow Minister for Women, ALP MP from Tasmania. Um, we have uh, we understand Robin Murphy from Women of Steel uh, Film Project is coming down. Yep, uh, she's only confirmed yesterday. So Women of Steel, uh, which I did want to mention, was is a film we're putting together about um, that Robin and the team are putting together about the. The, pay, the dispute that they had at BHP in Port Kembla many, many, many years ago about um, because they wouldn't let the women work there and the steelworks. Um, and this, it, it's iconic and it's truly Wimdoy. Um, and those women, women and mostly migrant women, protested out the front of BHP to say, we want to work here, we can do this job. And essentially their, their dispute um, changed discrimination laws for workplaces around the, around the country forever. So, um, yeah, that sort of stuff is, is what we'll be doing. There's a bunch of stuff on, um, you know, activism and we'll be all uh, getting on the Twitters and whatever and um, we'll be doing a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, and we're having a, a couple of events in Devonport that the public can come to. On Tuesday night, we're having sips and socialism at the pub and, yeah, so there's going to be a few, th- few good things on. Might even do a rally in the middle of Devonport. Oh, good on you. I love that. <laughs> sips and socialism. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for uh, spending a little bit of time with us. Hey, not at all. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Michelle. Great. Hello, I'm Duncan Graham, and this is Over the Wall. Today, we resume our chat with Josh Cullinan, Secretary of the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. The topic today is Woolworths. I'm here with Josh Cullinan. How are you going? I'm going very well. Thanks for having me, Duncan. It's been a long time between drinks since we've had you on Over the Wall, and there were some pretty good victories at that time. Can you tell us what's been occupying you in the, I guess, year, year and a half since then? Yeah, so over 2019, we've been running a series of major campaigns and activist events. And so over the year, we've grown substantially. We now have seven staff with organisers down the eastern seaboard and organising staff likely to be appointed in the next few weeks or months in Perth as well. We've been helping members engage in a whole variety of direct actions, so participating in the climate strikes in March and in September, in lots of the other actions and activities of uh, union rallies that have been going on. And then we've been running campaigns in a number of the major employers. The big one this year has been McDonald's, where they conducted a ballot in May, and we've been fighting that and fighting for our member uh, who'd been applying to terminate the agreement. Last time we were able to share that our members were the first McDonald's workers to have ever participated in bargaining directly at the bargaining table, and we participated in a series of meetings with members from across the country attending in Sydney and in Melbourne at the corporate head offices and and their offices of their lawyers. 
the ballot was announced in May immediately after our member, uh, Xavier Kelly, who works at Burwood Maccas in Melbourne, applied to terminate the agreement with backdated effect. And that meant that he was seeking a quarter of a billion dollars in back pay for the 100,000 plus workers who work at McDonald's at any one time. They immediately went to a new agreement with the help of the SDA because they know a new agreement will mean that there's no back pay because the termination case is lost, it's abandoned if there's a new agreement in place. So they rushed out their vote and when they rushed out their vote, they did a whole range of things that were fundamentally flawed. They misrepresented the truth to workers about the effect of voting and of voting no. The ballot itself was done by a company where the company's website was effectively hacked and the ballot result was being broadcast live on YouTube while the ballot was underway. They represented to staff that there was certain benefits coming from the agreement, that many workers would be earning at least a dollar more than the minimum wage, which is just not true. And they also failed to put on a whole lot of evidence after the vote about the way that employers communicated the vote, explained the terms of the agreement to workers. And there's a whole range of other technical issues. Uh, We led the fight for the no campaign and over 20,000 workers at McDonald's voted no. 41% voted no. Is that because people realised the impact on the back pay case mainly or were there other issues? I think there was a whole lot of different issues at play and some of them were aware of the impact on the back pay case. Others were fed up with being misled and not being told the truth. They were fed up with not getting their basic entitlements and rights. And this was one way that they could express, finally, to the employer, without fear of being sacked, that they could vote no. Now, unfortunately, a whole lot of workers were directed to vote yes. A whole lot of workers who tried to vote no, we now know that the vote itself was down for days at a time because it was overwhelmed in the first day and it was taken offline in the middle of the vote. We had lots of reports from workers trying to vote no that just couldn't get their votes counted. So we think it was partly really about a new generation of workers who were finally given an option to say no to this megalith that treats them as commodities and second-class citizens. So I think that was one of the drivers of that outcome. In the end, the application was made to the Commission. We fought it, and partly because of the strength of our case and partly because we had won another case against Kmart, McDonald's in the days prior to the application being heard, after we'd put on seven or eight witnesses, they withdrew their application for approval and now are effectively agreeing that they will go on to the award, but they're fighting to delay going on to the award. And they're, with the help of the SDA, seeking to avoid the retrospective termination, so having to pay any back pay. So absent the termination the industrial instrument would be the previous agreement, is that correct? Yeah, the extant agreement stays in place. So it stays in place for the vast majority of uh, franchisees and for McDonald's head office. And that will stay in place until this is dealt with. We now have a hearing date, which is good, uh, November 11 and 12, for the termination case. And we're looking forward to finally having that case heard, although we are somewhat concerned that McDonald's and the SDA are looking to avoid it altogether by agreeing on a termination date and having that put in place. But we're certainly looking forward to the 11th to have the case heard. Assuming that the termination is allowed by the uh, Commission, 
How do you proceed with Xavier's case? Does that go to federal court? No, so Xavier's case is really quite a specific right under the current Act to terminate an agreement that's in place. If that agreement is terminated, Xavier's case is successful. The second part of Xavier's case is to backdate that termination, which is a power given to the Fair Work Commission, but it's generally it's not a power given to the courts. That part of the case is still to be determined. It's manifestly obvious that an agreement which saves the business $125 million a year, the business was well aware of what it was achieving and what it was securing with the help of the SDA in the agreements that have been in place up till now. But it's put against Xavier and RAFWU that they didn't know that it failed the boot and that they did nothing wrong. And we think it's a duck, you know, quacks. It sounds like a duck, it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck and it looks like a duck. It's it's a duck. Yes, and it sort of runs straight into the primary logic of industrial instruments that if you're not saving money doing them, why do them at all? In retail and fast food, it's fundamentally right, Duncan. The, the agreements that have been struck over a very long period of time, they weren't to stop workers from taking industrial action. That was the premise of what an agreement was for. It was to lock workers out of industrial action and the workers get locked in conditions for a period. That's not what was happening in retail and fast food for the last decades. So I've not heard of back pay decisions being made by the Commission. Hmm. I always thought they were a civil matter they are. So this is a termination. So it's not that it's a suit or a demand for back pay. What it's seeking is the retrospective termination of the agreement based on that the employer knew that what it told the commission in 2015 and 16 was wrong. Now, the end result of that is that that would entitle workers to the award since then. And that entitlement would then lead to the vast majority of workers being owed a lot of money. That's the way that the termination case deals with it. There hasn't been an employee-led termination case made retrospective that we're aware of ever. There's been a couple of employer-led ones, but they really didn't deal with the issues. They were given by the Commission for the abundance of caution, I think is the words that were used by the Commission. Okay. The Commission obviously doesn't operate under all the common law rules, but will this have a knock-on effect? Will it have a precedent-setting effect if the termination is achieved? Well, we've certainly achieved terminations in the past. So Domino's is a good example where a termination was secured in late 2017 for January 2018. So that has been done, but it would be a precedent-setting decision if a retrospective effect is given to that termination. And that is why McDonald's and the SDA are investing squillions in legal teams and barristers and others to do everything they can to avoid that and coming up with these programs to try and avoid it being heard at all. We've seen it before as well. It's what Woolworths did to get a new agreement over the line and the same at Coles. So this tactic of trying to put an agreement up, they have to withdraw it because they know they were going to lose, but now trying to get an agreed date, which is different to Xavier's of two and a half years ago, these different tactics are used to avoid there being a decision. It would certainly be a substantial decision. It would be a landmark decision if it was found. We thank Mr Cullinan for his time and expertise.
That's us. And we're back on Solidarity uh, Breakfast, and now we're joined by Darren Gibson, who's an NUW delegate at the uh, Woolworth Sydney Regional Distribution Centre. And uh, Darren, the union members there are currently negotiating a new enterprise agreement. Ah, uh, yeah, that's correct. And so, firstly, Darren, the Sydney workers are campaigning to address the wage uh, disparity compared to the workers in Melbourne. Yeah, uh, that's correct, mate. We uh, when we did when we started the process, we had a look at the uh, Melbourne workers doing the equal work to what we do, and we discovered that they are paid significantly higher rates than what we are in Sydney. And the workers in Broadmeadows are doing exactly the same work in exactly the same um, setup as what you guys work in. Yeah, that's correct, mate. So. Um, we, we, we are uh, the Broadmeadows Sister Shed. We are what's referred to as Queensland Property Investments Shed 1, and that's Queensland Property Investments Shed 2. So it's absolutely identical work. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, so even though we supposedly got national in, uh, industrial laws, these guys were able to say to you guys that... Uh, uh, how did it come about that there is such disparity? So from my understanding, it, um, this has just been an incremental increase over uh, you know, many uh, EBAs. Uh, we've got to a point now in 2019 where we are paid um, 20% less Ooh. than our workers in Melbourne. Yeah, it's significant, correct. And not only that, Sydney's a pretty expensive place to live in. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you, you sort of, it's what you're used to, but yeah, ultimately, um, you know, everything in Sydney is expensive. Any new road they build, they put a toll on it, and, you know, parking, you know, uh, heating, electricity, everything's going up, and, you know, our wages have sort of uh, really been stagnant, um, you know, for a long period of time, and then when we discovered this inequality, um, we took that to our members, and it was just something that they refused to ignore any longer. And what was the company's response to that item on the log of claims? Uh, we had one uh, HR who um, uh, she, she referred to the, our pay claim as offensive. She said that it was an offensive claim and that she personally was offended that we would have asked for that. Oh, poor darling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh. when, when we pointed out that we were actually seeking equality, uh, her response was, that's, that, that's not the definition of equality, and I needed to go get educated. <gasps> How rude is that? What, so yeah, she's, well, that's... Uh, yeah. Go on, sorry. Sorry. Oh, it's yeah, just no, so that, rude. That's to be expected, though, yeah. Yeah, it's to be expected. And so like, they're really throwing the fish of class on, on the table. They're saying, you know, we're so... so uh, well-rounded educationally, uh, you lowlife should just get on with things. Absolutely, we our warehouse manager uh, at one point was having pocket meetings with groups of twenty workers, and he was saying that he, when he looks into this into the car park out front of our work, that he sees um, new cars. He understands that uh, many people here have mortgages and actually have investment properties, and he said that was all because of. Uh, for us working at Woolworths. 
<laughs> Mind you, many, many people here have uh, second jobs and also run small businesses as well. This, you know, they, they, this isn't their sole income, not to mention their partner's contributions to their household income. It was everything that we have is, is due to what we earn at Woolworths. And the members are also fighting to increase their redundancy entitlement, Darren. Uh, yeah, that's correct, Marcus. Once again, um, you know, we had a look at some of the other um, Woolworths agreements and, and we once again we noticed that uh, what we had in our EBA was significantly short of the mark. We, we entered this agreement and our redundancy was uh, four weeks for every year capped at uh, 40 weeks. So uh, realistically, anyone that worked more than 10 years, uh, any service above that's um, not rewarded. When we looked at other sites, they had um, they had caps of uh, 82 weeks. So four uh, four weeks, sorry, uh, for every year uh, capped at 82 weeks pay, uh, plus a range of other entitlements that uh, we just did not have in our agreement. And as we know, uh, the Melbourne. Uh uh, a regional distribution centre is in the process of closing down and shifting to the other side of town and being automated. Is there similar plans to close your warehouse down? Marcus, we, we've had the, those questions asked throughout the discussions and we constantly get told that we'll be informed as soon as Woolworths has made a, a definite decision to do that. Um, as of yet, they're, they're claiming that they haven't, but you know, uh, the writing's on the wall, the the automation is here. You know that's um, that's that's the future, and the work that we perform, unfortunately, uh, you know, in, in probably in the near future, will become uh, redundant work. So, although they haven't told us about a time frame, uh, they they did admit that, that that it's inevitable and it will occur. Now, given that, does the government have any transition plan for it? Would be a relatively large workforce, surely. Yeah, we haven't we haven't uh, had any indication that there's any uh, you know transitional uh, type plan in place. Yeah, given my experience at the Woolworths Distribution Centre in Broadmeadows, I mean it was yeah the union members there through the one big shed campaign that uh, campaign to win some sort of transitional arrangements. I mean there was very very little help given from the government. Yeah, once again, we wouldn't expect the government to uh, really chip in on this. It'll be left to the workers, as it always is. Uh, um, one other thing before I guess you we let you go is, uh, uh, well, yeah, uh, Marcus has got another follow-up question, but it's just interesting to me that uh, given the outlandish nature of uh, the uh, HR's accusations and their methods, do they go off to school with the company to be given a checklist of ridiculous things to say to you guys? <laughs> I think it's part of their uh, their initial training. <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah, uh, the NUW members have led the way uh, campaigning for the rights of labour hire workers and uh, you guys are also uh, campaigning for the, the protection of labour hire workers in the EBA. Yeah, that's correct. We currently have coverage of, of our agency uh, contract workers uh, in regards to uh, pay but unfortunately they're, um, they're a lot more vulnerable when it comes to conditions. So we're looking to expand coverage and, and get um, more rights in our EBA uh, to cover our agency staff and, and most importantly, a, a clearer uh, transition from agency onto um, Woolworths books. 
And on Monday, uh, the NUW becomes much a uh, part of much a much bigger union, Darren. Yeah, it sure does. A very exciting time for um, members of the NUW. We're amalgamating with the United Voice to create a brand new union uh, known as the United Workers Union. So you're going to crack a bottle of champagne? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe maybe a couple of EBs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for talking to us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Darren. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Kerry Lee Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday, the 14th of November. Upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I'd always represent. There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio, along with music, food and, of course, free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to late 30. See you there. Music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. And we're back, and uh, we're moving right along here on Solidarity Breakfast with me, Annie, and Marcus. And we've got uh, Dirk from uh, Spirit of Eureka on the line. G'day, Dirk. Oh. Hello. G'day. <laughs> uh, it would help if I press the buttons. Yeah, we've got Dirk Van Dalen from the Spirit of Eureka Committee, as Annie just said, and each year uh, the group celebrates the Eureka Rebellion in Melbourne and uh, the Eureka Struggle. It was, a, it was a pivotal moment in Australian working-class history, Dirk. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, this year will be 165 years since that uh, monumental struggle of, uh, of Australian working people. It couldn't be coming. It couldn't come uh, early enough. Actually, this uh, memorial, considering the things that are happening uh, in the industrial landscape at the moment. Well, that's right. And um, you know, this this year's theme for our event, we've gone with the uh, continuing the struggle for Australian independence and the fight for workers and democratic rights. And I think if you look at the union struggles at the moment, I mean, there are real draconian laws uh, being put to Parliament. Uh, to, to curb the uh, rights of workers, and, and we're even seeing now uh, laws and uh, talk about restricting the right to protest and, and things like that. So I think it's a it's not just a historical event, but it's something that has a lot of um, importance for, for our struggles today. The struggle goes on with this uh, Insurance Integrity Act, and it's, uh, it's about defending democracy is what the diggers were fighting for back in 1854 about the taxation without representation and if the Liberals get their way they want to impose who leads us um, who leads our union so a similar struggle absolutely yeah absolutely they they spend a lot of time massaging the message uh, trying to make people in general the working class and uh, the poor to believe that in actual fact, it, you know, the government and the right wing are using their reasonable voice and that we should all uh, sit in our schoolyard and in our school chairs without making a noise. Uh, they're doing the right thing. Uh, a message coming out of Spirit of Eureka is a, a quite a different kind of focus, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think 
we really need to um, we need we really need to fight these things. We can't just take these things laying down as if um, we shouldn't roll over and, and let the let the government and and big business dictate to us our terms, um, our conditions. Uh, we really need to to fight these things. And you know, we, Spirit of Eureka takes great inspiration from that struggle that happened 165 years ago, where the diggers didn't lay down. They weren't going to uh, tolerate the harsh conditions and, and brutal oppression of the British colonial government. And uh, we say today that workers and, and ordinary people shouldn't either. They took risks. They did take risks. And you know what? They, um, they even took up arms. Are we getting to a point where that's going to happen again? Oh, well, let's hope out. not. But yeah, <laughs> um, you've got a pretty important speaker, uh, guest speaker. Uh, can you talk to that? Yeah, so we've got um, three speakers. Uh, our keynote speaker is going to be Clinton Fernandez. Clinton Fernandez is a uh, ex-military intelligence uh, officer who's now turned academic, and uh, he's written a number of books about uh, Australia and Australia-US relations. Um, I recommend to your listeners to, to, to get a copy of his book, Island Off the Coast of Asia. It's an absolutely terrific book. He's fantastic. I've seen him speak and he's incredibly uh, incisive and he's been particularly incisive about the uh, arrest of uh, Whistleblower. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He's, uh, he's got a long connection with uh, the struggle of East Timor, or Timor-Leste, and uh, yeah, he does have a, a very strong connection with the the so-called whistleblowers in uh, related to that case, yeah. And there's two other guest speakers on the night, Dirk. Yeah, so we've got um, Joan Coxedge, yeah. who's probably know uh, most three CR listeners would would uh, know. Um, she's a long time political activist and uh, anti-war activist, former Victorian uh, ALP MP, and uh, a real woman of, of principle. I think she was one of the only people to vote against the deregistration of the Builders' Labour Federation. Um, And she was, I think, she one time let off a stink bomb in the Victorian halls of Parliament. So a real rebel. (laughs) And And effective, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And uh, our third speaker will be Dave Kerrin. Again, as someone who most 3CR listeners might know, a long-time working-class union activist who's been involved in many workers' struggles uh, for, for justice and democratic rights. So... And He's his big thing at the moment is cooperatives. Yes, he is big on the cooperatives, which is uh, an interesting um, idea and, and something that could uh, maybe lead in that direction of a, an independent Australia. And the annual... The, sorry, go on. Now, the annual Spirit of Eureka Award will also be presented on the night. Yes, so every year we present the uh, Spirit of Eureka Award. This year we're keeping it a little bit secret, so you'll have to be there on the night to find out who's going to win that one. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and what are the details of the event, the uh, date, time and venue? Yep, so it's on Thursday, November 28th. Uh, it starts at 6pm, doors open at 6pm. It's at the MUA uh, Hall, that's the Maritime Union Hall. That's at 46 Island Street, West Melbourne. Just a short walk from uh, North Melbourne Station for those who take public transport. Dinner is available and then speakers start at 7 o'clock. And how do listeners uh, book their table or seat? So if bookings are essential because uh, it is catered, so you can book and pay online at eureka16 
eureka165.eventbrite.com. That's eureka165.eventbrite.com. Or you can contact us by email at soedinner at protonmail.com, soedinner at protonmail.com. Uh, book your spot and then you can pay cash at the door on the night. Okay, and it's always a good night. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning on Solidarity uh, Breakfast, Dirk. Thank you very much. suggesting maybe the filthy rich should not receive quite so many free public handouts, whereas the caring business class, sheepshead and hayseed parties used unifying language like we will increase free public handouts for the filthy rich and socialist penny left wing said they must win the people on the economy. A socialist economy penny. We must win the people on the economy.
And Supremo, and would-be big Supremo Anthony Albing Uzi, iterated his firm socialist belief that the road to socialism lies in making capitalism lot stronger, which every government has been doing since government began. White invader government, that is, began in true blue Aussie, and so the real problem lies in policies, electoral dynamite. And the report suggests there was a bit of a problem with then Supremo and would-be big Supremo, little Billy Shorten ambition, like no one liked him. Interesting, who would have imagined that left-wing warrior Anthony Albingusi would in record time make little Billy look like a revolutionary? But we don't need the socialists and we don't need socialism. Well, the Socialist Party knows that. When the answer to poverty and destitution is capitalism, perfectly exemplified Thursday as True Blue Aussie's richest man, Anthony Yora Pratt, scion of corporate crook Big Dick, threw a party for children's hospital patients, dear little sick children, and another great and respectable capitalist, Lord Rupert of Wapping, ran a photo yesterday of Anthony and partner and Lord Rupert's chairperson, Penny Fowler News, with dear little sick children, explaining how generous Anthony is donating to worthy causes. So who needs policies anyway when we've got Anthony and Lord Rupert to lift the nation out of poverty? The Minister for Privatised Health, Greg Hunt the Prophets, a former Minister for Fossil Pollution, said he was passionate about the government's energy and climate change policy. My word, he's easily pleased. Although an elaboration on say what the policy is wouldn't have gone astray, unless doing nothing in a canter is a policy. And supporting that policy following those disgraceful scenes last week of violent protesters attacking the... Uh, sorry, forces of law and order, protesters opposed to the government non-policy and taking it out on the great resource corporations whose magnificent and selfless crusade is to lift the world's poor out of poverty, big supremo scuttled them more or less than had had enough of these lawless criminals. Drawing on past big supremo's experience with evil trade unions to solve the problem. Ban secondary boycotts. Ban evil criminals preventing the great corporates going about their lawful business, lawful business versus unlawful protest. Because as we discovered last week in an exclusive interview with our regular police spokesperson, Senior Sergeant Bernie O'Pig, these long-haired commie wooden work in an iron lodge crime is, like, you know, like, like, you know, like, protest. Indulgent and selfish practice, scuttle them spoke for all law-abiding citizens in describing the long-haired commie lot. And in discussing the wording of my proposed legislation with the fossil and resource industry, it is the government's responsibility to protect, as they dictated the wording to me, it became apparent just how appalled these great corporate people are at the very thought that anyone's practice could be indulgent and selfish. Uh, and who said the government's responsibility is to protect the great mining corporations, scuttle them? Well, they did. Not, not that they need to. Uh, the government governs for all the people, and that means facilitating jobs, 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 and growth, growth, growth. And scuttle them said the great corporations had bemoaned the sad fact that indulgent and selfish practice is not restricted to true blue Aussie. They told me there are selfish and indulgent people around the world who protest over unfortunate but unforeseeable matters like tailings dams bursting and causing a, a little bit of 
death and damage or complain when their homes or way of life must be sacrificed for the common good of jobs, jobs, jobs and growth, 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 whose sole purpose is to lift these indulgent and selfish people out of poverty. Uh, but your legislation won't ban protest altogether, scuttle him, I hope. Certainly not. We respect and uphold the right to protest as long as, as long as it has no effect whatever. Now, that's very fair. Very fair. And don't forget, there is really responsible protest like when the great corporations protested against the socialist resources super-duper profits tax and crippling carbon taxes, which would have destroyed the true Blawazi economy. Yes, great to see the government getting the balance right. Not getting the balance right. Rural communities across the state are about to sink into dark dystopia following the pejorative Dan Socialists telling us the destruction of native forests would be phased out over a mere 11 years. Allowing, presumably given it now sees the destruction of native forests, of old growth forests, a, a bit of a problem, only 11 more years of destruction. If you realise it's a problem, then why not just, oh well, with the chainsaw industry screaming, 11 years isn't nearly enough time to readjust, forced as usual to defend its workers' jobs and telling us it will take much longer to develop plantation timber. wonder what they've been doing given the closure of the public assets has been on the cards for a while. Anyway, it's all disaster, but the government will hand them 120 mil of our money and 11 years of our old growth forests to ease the pain. When... Just maybe the logging chainsaw mob who've been making millions out of public assets for eons should foot some of the bill to retrain and transition workers. Oh, no, no. This is obviously a job for the public purse. And the industry said the 120 mil isn't nearly enough and they're going to need lots more. And the Hayseed and Sheepshit Party Deputy Federal Leader Bridget McCosey up to the chainsaws said logging old growth forests was quote, direct quote, she said this, clean, green, sustainable, well-managed resource, which helps explain why that lot don't believe in climate change and the chainsaw industry agreed it is well-managed. We manage to chop it down, it said proudly. Chopped down and hatcheted. Remember way, way back when the Nab Your Money Bank was so excoriated by the Her Most Gracious Majesty's commission that the big supremos Brian hatcheted and Ken Hand Me the Money announced they were quitting. Remember? Way, way back? Well, they took it so seriously that their quitting is currently coming into effect months and months later. And the incoming new big supremo, Phil Cranking Up the Profits, was asked, uh, What lessons has Ken Hand Me the Money? given you about your new role. Uh, in three words, don't get sprung. Getting stung? No, no, take that back. Apropos of nothing, one of the supermarket duopoly, Kills Value, is running this extraordinarily generous offer for what it tells us are quality wine glasses. And when we analyse it, analyze it, we have to marvel at how they can afford it, for the punters get one credit toward a glass for every $30 they spend. And they only need 25 for some, 35 for others credit points to snap up the offer. Meaning Kills Value's generosity runs to roughly nine hundred to a thousand dollars per glass, or, or a mere six grand for the set. As I said, we have to marvel at how good old Kills Value can afford to give them away.
For what it's worth, pun only slightly intended, the punters would be advised to just buy the bloody glass and save thousands. Over in the US of the UN of the US of the world, Kentucky Fried poor Donald. Big Supremo Donald trample the poor after Donald campaigned for his man for governor and the bloody people voted for some out-of-control lefty Democrat. Bloke, sorry, guy called Andy Bash Your Ears and Donald's man, the incumbent hot favourite whose victory Donald assumed would boost his own electoral stock, said it wasn't over because there were voting irregularities. And supported him and said there were voting irregularities, worst irregularities ever, ever. Uh, worse than George W. Bash, the workers in Florida, ever, ever. And Andy said, don't know what he's working off of. And I thought, if nothing else, Andy's term will be a boon for grammatical education in good old Kentucky. Oh, and finally, the private health insurance industry, so vital to all of us that it is handed a huge percentage of the public health budget, has nonetheless been losing customers. Hard to imagine, given its reasonable ever-increasing premiums and, to balance that, reasonable ever-reducing coverage. But the head of privatised Medibank, the profits Mark Fitzgibbon Money, has found the answer and offered his solution to the government. Simple, really. They need even more of the public health budget. Thank goodness a private company demanding more government handouts is not a secondary boycott. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. And uh, yes, indeed. Um, we got a call from someone. G'day, Don. We've got Don Sutherland on the line, and I thought you might like to hear this as well. Uh, Good on you, Annie. Yes, yeah, like yeah. Um, the, uh, Joan, we were told, Joan Cossock, Cotsedge, who's going to be one of the uh, uh, speakers at the upcoming uh, Spirit of Eureka uh, 165th uh, anniversary dinner, uh, used to be, as we know, was in the Victorian Parliament. And uh, apparently it, uh, she led a stink bomb off in Parliament. And uh, we got a caller ringing in telling us the reason for why she did that was because she used to represent the Western suburbs and she wanted the parliamentarians to get an intimate knowledge of the stench that they in her <laughs> suburbs needed to uh, deal with every day. So there you go. It has been effective. There have been changes in the Western suburbs. And so she was indeed an effective um, representative in our democratic state. But we're in the midst of uh, some pretty horrible stuff going on in the uh, Federal Senate, and that's the Ensuring Integrity Bill. And I thought we'd have a chat with you about it. Yes, the Ensuring Integrity Bill, um, just to continue your theme of the discussion about the 150th anniversary of Eureka, um, uh, continues the proud tradition of uh, penal powers being enacted by uh, Australian parliaments and before that British parliaments to prevent workers from effectively coming together to stand up for uh, better wages, conditions and health and safety. That's fundamentally what the Ensuring Integrity Bill is on about. It's, and, it's like the uh, Masters and Servants Act. People don't realise that it was illegal to express dissent against your employer. You could be put in jail just for being a naughty boy or girl. Uh, uh, yes, uh, that's correct. This is this really this particular bill 
is not yet law, so it's called a bill. Yeah. Uh, and, and we'll go into a couple of details and look at how they might apply in real life from the point of view of workers. This particular bill attacks existing unions and prospective newly forming unions. And so it is a focus directly upon union organising and the efforts of any group of workers to either join an existing union or start to behave uh, like a union by joining together in combination to stand up for themselves. So the Ensuring Integrity Bill is a little bit different. It focuses upon what is called the uh, Fair Work Registered Associations Act, not the Fair Work Act uh, in general, but the Fair Work Act, which is all about how uh, register, how unions should be registered and the conditions and rights and responsibilities that go with that. But it has also both a direct and indirect impact upon not just unions as organisations, but workers who are seeking to behave as union members. And we'll come back to one or two examples in a moment. Um, uh, perhaps we could just say a couple of things about you know, what the bill actually does. Um, firstly, it seeks to disqualify union officials, and this can include, in some circumstances, an elected, that is a working union member who was elected to be a, a union delegate or shop steward, uh, if they uh, if they uh, disobey aspects of the law, and secondly, it seeks to deregister a union that uh, knowingly or unknowingly even uh, has individuals in it who uh, knowingly or unknowingly have disobeyed the law. Now it's very interesting that you should put it that way because we've been seeing. Uh, Union delegates coming on to construction sites, even when they've done all the letter of the law stuff, being uh, having had the cops pulled on them, uh, having to get a worksafe come down and say it's okay, they're allowed, it's the law. So uh, and also being um, prosecuted uh, because they've stopped work at a place where workers are really being threatened by unsafe conditions. Exactly. And in fact, one of my practical examples of how it affects workers in general is revealed in a fascinating set of photographs at the Facebook page of the North Coast um, uh, uh, Construction Union members and uh, workers um, site. It shows just at the moment that people can just go to the Facebook page and have a look it shows a, a particular building site that is a disgrace as far as safety is concerned. And um, a union official has obviously been alerted to that and arrived at the site and gone on site. And that union official, in all, I mean, what you see is a disgraceful, a disgraceful work site in terms of how the owners have... Uh, set the site up in regards to health and safety. It includes, for example, you'll see the photograph of it, that there are two containers, one stacked on the other, which serve as offices. The first aid centre is in the top container. Oh. There's a drawer there, but you have to get to it by climbing a ladder. 
Now, uh, that that is just that is quite typical across suburban Australia, away from the CBD, where the CFMEU Construction Division has big influence. But out in the suburbs, where some organisers dare to go, the, the disgrace, the health and safety conditions are disgraceful. And the, and the union officials who go onto those sites are really on eggshells in terms of how they behave to get immediate correction to uh, very serious safety breaches like that one. So, so what and they're we, really saying is that the federal government appears to be saying is that uh, they, you know, here are the, what is it that, you know, these employers that... Um, you know, like they're like uh, they're like rogue employ. I mean, it's, they're lowering the incur- the standards of uh, of Australian life effectively. The, um, I mean, there's a word for for the uh, renegades, or they're not. They're just they want to normalise really bad working practices. Well, unfortunately, a few years ago, a couple of uh, there were a couple of examples of really. Uh, bad behaviour by union officials, and that provided the excuse for the Royal Commission. Now, what the what this what the Ensuring Integrity Bill is all about is that it wants the Australian public to believe that the Australian union movement in general is made up of is full of louts and thugs and bullies and thieves. And I'm using the language there of the Royal Commission. Yeah, yeah, they use it all the time. Yeah, and, and of course that is not true. There is just no evidence uh, to suggest that this sort of behaviour, and in fact, since the Royal Commission, not just through changes to the Act, but to various changes to internal union protocols, that behaviour that gave rise to the excuse for the Royal Commission has been wiped out in Australian unions. Now, you will always get somebody who loses it in some way and misbehaves. And there are often things that employers and managers do that give rise to a lack of discipline on some part, on the part of workers. It is is a part of life. This, This bill seeks to enact extreme punishment, the tradition of penal powers, upon not just union officials, but workers, with a direct impact upon workers. So let me give you an example. Under the enterprise bargaining broken rules from the point of view of workers, uh, workers who are not members of unions are enabled, with the assistance of employers, to participate at the bargaining table during negotiations for an enterprise agreement. So you might have one or two or three self-appointed workers who are not members of the union who show up at the bargaining table. And sitting alongside of them are a group of union members who have been elected. They're not self-appointed. They're elected by their members to represent them at the bargaining table. Now, during the course of negotiations, what then occurs is that the self-appointed reps uh, basically support the claims being put forward by the employer. So they're brown noses. The enterprise agreement worse. Yeah, so they're brown noses. Yes, and the effect of that is, of course, is that the workers who are representing 
other members of the union get angry. So the Insurance Integri- Integrity Act, uh, Don, it'll, as you said, it'll remove and water down democracy in the workplace, but also in the union leadership positions where the Liber- Liberal government will have the uh, have the right to pick and choose who leads and their the unions. Employers. And the employers. But its intent is to make unions less able for union representatives, whether, they're a, a, whether they are salaried, in other words, paid union officials or not, less able to effectively represent workers in the workplace. That's its intent. Yeah, it's against natural to... justice, this whole approach, isn't it? It's against natural yeah. justice. But can you imagine, can you imagine that under the current law, people can self-appoint and then in self-appointing to be at the bargaining table for a new enterprise agreement can deliberately set out, with the assistance of the employer, to undermine what the elected workers uh, uh, are seeking at the bargain. Yeah, and then have the audacity to dress it up as freedom of speech. And that leads to a, a level of anger. And if that anger loses its discipline, then the employer under this bill has the power to seek the disqualification of any union official who may have been in the room, right? Because it is it's tantamount to a breach of the act to be behaving in an angry or a bullying way. That's how it can be constructed, of course. And so this bill is primarily aimed at unions as institutions, but also has a direct impact, a direct uh, on uh, workers who come from the workplace to represent. Uh, other workers who are members of the union. It's intended to keep union density at the overall 15% and, in fact, reduce it even further. That is its purpose. Um, the So it's very important that every one of us, especially those who are listening and have not done it so far, do what is currently being asked because the bill is apparently going to be voted on in the Senate in the next uh, couple of weeks, according to the latest information from the Australian Council of Trade Unions. It's very important that we do what we're being asked to do, which is to send uh, messages, uh, and there are various ways of doing it, send messages to the senators who will be decisive. And here we're talking about the Centre Alliance senators and Jackie Lambie. And the website for that, is, um, I'll just read it out, standupforworkers.com. Standupforworkers.com, and it's a special... Um, is the for uh, a letter a word, or is it... Um, it's all one word, standupforworkers. Yeah. Yeah. So given the extreme powers that the Ensuring Integrity Act will carry and the unjust laws it will bring against workers' removal of democracy, why has there not been, do you think, uh, a major campaign in the streets or campaign out in the streets by the ACTU? Well, I think that's a very good question. The ACTU's, um, well, the union movement strategy has generally been, I think, um, and I don't mean to be critical by this, by the way, has been a defensive strategy that in the light of the election, uh, uh, I think the union movement has found it very difficult to, or is still going through a stage of working out what its new strategy should be, given that the parliamentary road... Mm -hmm. 
to solving these problems has hit a dead end at least for three years. Um, there has been, but what they are doing is trying to conduct a defensive uh, approach by lobbying the uh, the Senate crossbenchers, especially the Senator, uh, the, the the Centre Alliance, and uh, Jackie Lambie. Um, Lambie is interesting because she has said that she will support the bill unless John Setka resigns. That's and a bizarre the, request. The yeah, the entire is, the entire uh, working class of Australia uh, versus one other one per, you know one person. I mean, really. she obviously doesn't understand that John Setka has been well, democratically elected by his members. He's been democratically elected by his members and his members have every right to determine who their leaders should be, whether it be John Secker or anyone else. And as you say, John Secker is basically a pimple on the backside of the total body of the union movement. I know, it's ridiculous. And, and for an individual for an individual senator to say that she will deal with legislation on the basis whether one person should resign or not is pretty ordinary and pretty and, and really not very logical. I mean just imagine if um, if Ms Lambie, uh, on her uh, regular flights between Launceston and Canberra, uh, was denied by a couple of flight in- uh, attendants um, a little bit of uh, cup of tea and biscuits and so on, which is the common fare on Qantas these days. And, um, and they say to her, look, you know, we're not going to serve you properly unless you do the right thing and uh, oppose the Insurer Integrity Bill. Well, the first thing she's going to say is that my constituents determined. <laughs> they elected me. <laughs> they are the ones who have a right to tell me how I should vote. I mean, it just beggars believe how inconsistent her thinking is about this. But we must try to persuade her, and that's the purpose of the communication-type defensive strategy that the ACTU and its constituent unions are going after. I think there is a big question about that strategy, but I, I, I think I do understand why, uh, even though I may not... Um, uh, uh, none of us, I suppose, really like it as a defensive strategy, but it's a necessary one at this point. It's interesting that uh, The Australian this morning has, uh, because it's the mouthpiece of uh, the right wing, uh, and you know they feel that they're setting the agenda for the uh, right-thinking people of Australia... And I mean that uh, the right-thinking people of Australia. Uh, that, um, and an, uh, just an aside, uh, a person I know was working in uh, the, uh, the industrial, de- you know, the Department of Industry in Canberra. And when they were working there uh, in this phase, that uh, the only paper that uh, that organisation got and expected everybody to read was the Australian which I think is pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, that it's talking about a demerit point for uh, points, like, you know, with driver's licences uh, for uh, union officials. So, you know, they'll have a, it will be a countdown from 180 points. And the reason why I bring it up is because we've got this government that works on the principle of publicity campaigns and massaging the general population's belief that of fairness, around fairness. And so they've created this bureau- bureaucratic uh, uh, arrangement where they'll say, if a person's being a naughty boy or girl, we'll take off some points, and that's fair. 
except that, of course, we've already seen that the things that people are being uh, told they're being naughty boys and girls are, are for are actually really make or break issues for workers or exactly. they haven't done anything at all. You know, like they'll, they'll stand at the gate and they've already done all the stuff, but then they call the cops anyway. I've seen them do it. Well, I think the... Um, uh, there are two points to be made about that, and uh, and you're exactly right. The the sort of things that could lead to, and this is a particular feature of the bill, is that any in in, in inverted commas quotes interested person is able to seek the disqualification of a union official or the deregistration of a union. Isn't that outrageous? Yeah. So now that 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 interested person could be the employer. It could be the employer who is in a supply relationship with another employer. It could be a couple of disgruntled workers. So remember the story of the SO workers, uh, their enterprise agreement that they were seeking to improve on uh, was uh, negotiated by three or four workers in another part of the country who were Probably, yeah. uh, well, we know at least a couple of them were essentially management stooges. Yeah, so mm-hmm. Greenfield arrangements. On the, other side of the country might might be in a position to be able to pursue the um, disqualification of the union representatives involved in that bargaining process. So we've got a whole lot of really bad laws, anti-worker laws, already loaded up with penal provisions as they currently stand. And then on top of that, the, uh, we, there are new ones being made available, not just to employers, but to agents of employers as well. So, so what they're doing applies- is, it's like with wage theft. What they're doing is make, you know, employers have, it's quite clear, they've made a business plan. Their business plan has actually involved wage theft. Now the government is aiding and abetting again with uh, laws that make what should be illegal, legal. Exactly. And uh, let's, let's explore the wage theft connection again. For a start, there is nothing in the Corporations Act or in this proposed bill that makes it possible to disqualify someone like Cullen Barris, uh, or the character from Woolworths or Rockpool wage there from being disqualified or Subway or mm-hmm. Domino's or Domino's and we can go on this whole <laughs> I can't help myself and and the liberal government they want the, the ensuring integrity bill which enables workers to seek the disqualification of those employers it's just an outrage now, there's a take the wage theft thing a bit further. When, a, when an employer sets up wage theft, as they do, they are, in a sense, uh, breaching... Well, they are, of course, breaching an award. The only mechanism available in the Fair Work Act is, provide, is based on zero power for the workers who are the victims of it. That's pretty outrageous. The current, the current Fair Work Act does not enable workers without the threat of the existing penal powers to take effective action to prevent it. All they can do is go back through a dispute settling procedure or they could use this bogus idea of the small claims tribunal, which is just a 
you know, an utter distraction, and um, or uh, they can take more serious action, which is in breach of the Act. And as soon as they do that, then any union official that might be uh, associated with them can be uh, can be charged with breaches of the Act, and consequently their disqualification from being representatives of workers can be affected. And that, of course, makes the uh, makes the efforts of the uh, workers, whether they're non-union or just learning to be union or whatever, to deal with wage theft, wage theft even more difficult. That means that over time, given these blockages, the penal powers that exist and the new ones that are being created, there will have to be defiance. And there is a sense in which the government and the employers who have been driving this process, have been driving the government to do this insurance integrity bill, they are setting things up to make defiance far more consequential for those of us who engage in it. It's intended. It oh, looks so, it, you know, it's just like, I mean, I know people like to say this, but, you know, and it seems inflammatory and all the rest of it, but. You know, because I read, I've just been reading a book around the uh, rise and ever rise of the what they misnomed uh, social democrats in uh, uh, Germany. You know, Hitler's rise, and of course, the very first thing that Nazism, yeah. But apparently, they didn't call themselves Nazis; everybody else did. But anyway, by the by, but one of the very first things that they did was... Based on the acronym for full name of their party. Yeah. Um, But the... um, the, This is what they did. That's all I'm saying. The Ensuring Integrity Bill is a part of a web of new law being, being talked about and actually proposed that makes various forms of protest illegal. And... And this is, you know, to go back to the Eureka theme, there comes a point where ordinary people have to combine together to defy, not just comply. When injustice Uh, becomes law, resistance is duty. That becomes, if you like, a, um, a commonly held view. And we are not at that point at the moment. It is not commonly accepted except... In, fair, in a relatively narrow uh, part of the population. That will expand at some point, and we have to find good strategic ways of doing it. Basing our strategy to deal with the Ensuring Integrity Bill on compliance, tactically we may have to do it, but basing a strategy to defeat the penal powers, both the established and the new ones, will require a defiance-based strategy. Well, maybe, maybe, you know, we're coming to the end of this uh, chat, but I'll t- uh, you want to say something, Marcus? Sorry. You go. No, I was just going to say that um, it hasn't been passed yet. Maybe the senators will actually be right and upstanding people. Well, you never know. And uh, if, we, if we do join in uh, on what the ACTU and the union movement is asking us to do, uh, with that standupforworkers.com type task, then that could have an effect. And I think the fact that the bill has not yet been pushed through the Senate at the moment, after three or four weeks of hanging around there... It's also the third time that they've tried to make it happen. 
in yes it does yeah well i should say there's been lots of lobbying with delegations i forgot to mention that lots of anyway we, we really have run out of time uh, i'll just finish one one final point there is an overlap and we should talk next time about the strategy of the government with its review of the Fair Work Act itself. Oh, good, yes, we would. That is a direct assault. That is a direct assault on the Fair Work Act and therefore it's it's a a different type of attack and more direct attack to wind back workers' protections. Okay, come on, hurry up, Marcus. One last, they want the powers of deregistration. Obviously, they've already got their target picked out being the CFMEU as their first target. Um, well, I think that's that is their first target, and but the way in which the act is constructed is cause, is that nurses who uh, pursue um, uh, uh, patient nurse ratios, ah, yes. they also could be a target. That's right, privatisation of the health system. And, and we so, have to go. We know we have to go. We have to go. Yeah. Thank you Thanks, so Don. much. All the best to everybody. Let's keep talking about. From every corner of the world They came from all around When in 1851 They struck gold upon the ground Every voyage was a long one Months upon the stormy sea Some to seek their fortune Others escaping slavery What they found on the gold fields Was ruled by brutish thugs Discrimination and taxation Mixed with swinging billy clubs The gold was getting scarcer And cops were getting worse The diggers burned their licenses And vowed to end this curse They swore an oath Beneath the southern cross They'd stand together And break the license laws From twenty different nations they gathered here as one In Ballarat, beneath the southern sun The crown tried to divide them, giving preference to some The diggers wouldn't have it, they said it's all of us or none They built a stockade while the redcoats massed nearby And they heard the miners shouting We're ready now to die The rebel miners waited For whatever lay in store And on one December morning In 1854 The redcoats attacked the camp Dozens there would fall Amongst these brave gold diggers Who'd risen to the call They You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.